0: In 1890, the tiny Greek village of Messerea on the island of Kithnos was plagued by something otherworldly. Whatever it was, the villagers claimed that it would enter their homes, eat their food, break their dishes, and then move on to repeat itself elsewhere. They named this creature Andalavarus, and they claimed it was of Rikolakis, a close cousin to the traditional European vampire. Andalavarus drank their wine and smashed their belongings, howling like a wolf, and making a loud, horrible mess. But the most interesting feature of this story is that no one actually saw Andelaverus do these things. The villagers claimed to witness it all, of course, but they said he was invisible. He was, in essence, a noisy spirit, but the only cultural lens they were able to view him through was as a vampire, and they weren't the first. Between 1591 and 1923, people across Europe told similar stories. An invisible monster that raided their homes and destroyed their belongings. Today, we see events like these play out across the screens of our local movie theater. Hollywood has been fascinated with invisible violent forces since the early 1980s when they brought us Poltergeist. What once was looked on as overly spiritual and easily disproven, is now attracting the attention of popular culture. But poltergeists have a history that runs far deeper than just the 1980s. From first-century Roman accounts to modern newspapers, the stories of humans interacting with angry ghosts has been told for a very, very long time. Some are clearly hoaxes. Some are misinterpretations of natural events. Oftentimes, they are a grab for attention or a cry for help. But sometimes, on very rare occasions, a story comes along that is nothing short of haunting. I'm Aaron Mankey, and this is Lore. The word poltergeist evokes a number of ideas for most people. Most think about the movie. Some picture objects being thrown around a room by an invisible hand. We might even envision the sound of chains or doors creaking open in the night. And they wouldn't be too far from the truth. The word poltergeist is German, and it literally means noisy spirit. The idea is that while the typical ghost story only uses one of our five senses, our sight, Stories of poltergeist can often tap all five. Most poltergeist accounts reference the same types of activity. Objects that are mysteriously moved or broken, noises in and around the house, physical attacks such as biting, pinching, hitting, and even tripping. Some people even claim to have seen objects, or other people, levitated by an unseen force. And unlike some folklore, stories of noisy spirits are nearly universal. Similar manifestations have been reported by witnesses in dozens of cultures for centuries, from Japan and Brazil, to Australia and the United States. For those who view widespread distribution as a major sign of proof, the poltergeist has become an indisputable fact. One of the earliest records of a poltergeist encounter actually comes from the first century Jewish historian Flavius Josephus. He recorded an exorcism in 94 AD that sounds eerily similar to those of us familiar with modern exorcism tales. In his report, he describes how, as the spirit was being driven from the person, a bowl of water all the way across the room was suddenly overturned by an invisible hand. Jacob Grimm, half of the famous Grimm brothers who recorded many of the stories we remember from our childhood, also wrote more scholarly books. In his book, Deutsch Mythology*, Grimm recorded a story from the German town of Bingen am Rhein that took place in the fourth century. According to the story, people were pulled out of their beds by an unseen force. Loud noises could be heard, as if someone were knocking on the walls or floor. Stones were even thrown, but the person, or spirit, who did the throwing was never found. Gerald of Wales, the famous clergyman, and Chronicler wrote in 1191 of a house in Pembrokeshire that was filled with poltergeist activity. Here, the unseen spirit was said to have thrown handfuls of dirt, as well as tearing clothing and breaking objects in the house. Most frightening to those who experienced it, though, was the fact that this spirit was also said to vocalize all the secrets of the people in the room. Similar stories have been recorded countless times in the centuries since Gerald's day. In one story from the early 1700s, one family encountered unusual activity in the church rectory in Epworth, Lincolnshire. Reverend Samuel Wesley and his wife Susanna had 10 children and had lived in the house since it had been built shortly after the previous rectory burned to the ground in 1709. During the winter of 1716 to 1717, the family began to experience regular noises. They would hear knocking on the walls and doors or the sounds of people running up and down the stairs. The house was searched from top to bottom, hoping to find the person responsible, but no cause was found. They even named the noisy spirit Old Jeffrey, and it was said that the spirit made himself visible on Christmas Day that winter. Shortly after, the noises stopped, never to happen again. In more modern times, one well-known story is that of the Black Monk of Pontefract. There, in the growing community just outside the city of Wakefield in West Yorkshire, England, reports began to circulate about the most violent poltergeist in European history. Joe and Jean Pritchard lived at No. 30 East Drive in 1970, along with their son Philip and daughter Diane. According to their report, they were plagued by problems in the house from the start. Objects were thrown. The temperature in rooms would suddenly drop. And they would even find puddles on the floor. They named the spirit Fred, and soon learned that Fred was not just mischievous, but also violent. Not only did the spirit throw eggs and take bites out of their sandwiches, but it also dragged their 12-year-old daughter Diane up the stairs by her neck, leaving handprints on her skin. After Fred attempted to strangle Diane a second time, this time with an electrical cord, the family asked for help. The police were brought in, as were a number of psychics and paranormal researchers. Even the mayor came by for a visit, but nothing seemed to help. Eventually, the Pritchards moved away and the noises inside number 30 stopped. But according to the woman who lives next door to the house that's connected to number 30, Fred the ghost hasn't gone anywhere. He still makes frequent visits to her side of the wall. And although he's usually very quiet, she claims that he sometimes stands in the room and glares at her with menacing eyes. Under the scrutiny of historical research, though, most recorded poltergeist stories have been shown to be frauds. Oftentimes, they were nothing more than pranks put on by the homeowner or the person who stood the most to gain from the attention. But every now and then, a story comes along that defies explanation. And when that story involves violent physical attacks and a serious threat to human lives, it becomes downright chilling. In 1999, a homeless man broke into a large tomb in a prominent cemetery known as Greyfriars in Edinburgh, Scotland. It was cold and rainy that night, and the man was looking for shelter. I might have gone elsewhere to find a warm, dry place to sleep, but when you're down and out, anything will do, right? This man wandered through the graveyard in the dark until he found a large mausoleum, something that looked large enough to allow him to get out of the elements and sleep in relative comfort. This one was known as the Black Mausoleum, and it was enormous. It resembles a large rotunda, with the spaces between the pillars filled in with cut stone. When the homeless man stumbled upon this tomb, it was exactly what he had been looking for. It had plenty of room to stretch out and sleep in, and it was dry. So he did what anyone desperate for shelter would do. He broke in. Because it's rare to find a tomb with windows, the interior of the vault was completely black. Thankfully, the man had a lighter or some other form of illumination, and he used it to explore. In the center of the floor was a large iron grate, similar to what you might find over a sewer drain or in the sidewalk over a subway tunnel in New York City. Beneath the grate was a staircase that curved and twisted its way down to a lower level. I know this sounds like something out of an Indiana Jones movie, but believe me, it's real, and it gets worse. Because beneath the first level, at the bottom of the stairs, this homeless man discovered four wooden coffins. They were, of course, very old, and the man probably assumed that, because of this, they would contain valuables that he could sell. I imagine he set down whatever it was that he was using as a light on one of the nearby coffins, and then began to try and open another one of them. When it didn't work, he resorted to smashing the lid to break the lock. And that's when he took a step backward. The boards in the floor must have been very old. The man must have put his full weight in just the right spot. All the possibilities must have lined up perfectly in that moment. A brief groan from the wooden floor was followed by a loud crash. And the man tumbled backward into a long-forgotten pit, some part of an even lower level that dated back centuries. The best guess that historians can make is that the pit was actually used for the illegal dumping of bodies in the wake of the plague in 1645. what they do know for sure however is that the pit was sealed very well so sealed in fact that when this homeless man landed on the pile of 350 year old corpses they were surprisingly well preserved they weren't skeletal and dry like you might expect no These bodies were wet with something that resembled green slime. The clothing was intact, albeit ragged and torn, and their hair was matted to their shriveled heads. And of course, there was an overwhelming stench in the air. The man bolted, and I don't think there's a single one of us who could blame him for doing so. Fearing for his life, man climbed out of the pit, up the stone stairs to the main vault, and out the door. He was in such a hurry that he even fell and cut his head on the doorway to the mausoleum. Outside, a security guard was patrolling the area with his canine partner when the homeless man burst out of the tomb. Now, maybe it was the blood running down the man's face. Maybe it was the white dust that covered him from head to toe because of his adventures below the tomb. Maybe it was just the simple sight of a pale, shrieking figure charging out from the dark crypt. Whatever the reason, when the guard saw the man, he turned tail and ran just as fast as he could, away from the darkness of the cemetery and into the city beyond. As difficult as it is to imagine, the frightening events of that night in 1999 were just the beginning. Like a tiny spark igniting an entire barn, the break-in at the Black Mausoleum set in motion something that no one has since been able to adequately explain. It turns out the mausoleum belonged to none other than Sir George Mackenzie, a man who had died in 1690. Along with being a lawyer and Lord Advocate to the Crown of Scotland, Mackenzie had been instrumental in sending hundreds of Presbyterian Covenanters to their death in the late 17th century. Today, he is known as Bloody Mackenzie, and according to the local reports, this invasion of his resting place set off a series of events that can only be blamed on a very angry spirit. And it didn't wait very long. The day after the break-in, a woman was taking a walk through the cemetery. It's unclear whether she was a tourist interested in seeing the Covenanters prison area of the graveyard or just local out for a walk but when she drew near to the mausoleum, she decided to peer through one of the two small grates in the tomb door. As she stood there, a gust of cold wind rushed out of the tomb with such force that she claims it knocked her backward and off the stone steps, landing on her back. A few days later, another woman was found unconscious on the sidewalk outside the tomb, sprawled out on her back as if she had fallen. She claimed that invisible hands had grabbed her around the throat and attempted to strangle her. she pulled back the collar of her shirt her neck was ringed by a series of dark bruises as if fingertips had been driven into her skin soon after another tourist this time a young man experienced something eerily similar for others though the consequences of visiting the tomb were more physical and lasting some people have found scratches on their arms neck or chest while others have discovered burn marks Many of these injuries disappear almost as quickly and mysteriously as they appeared. Some, though, claim to have been permanently scarred. All told, people have broken fingers, felt their hair pulled, been pushed or struck, and all by an unseen force. People have even felt nauseous or numb, or both. And not just one or two people, but hundreds. Sometimes these attacks happen near the tomb, and sometimes they happen later. One particular story stands out. A former police officer reported participating in a tour of the cemetery a few years ago. After returning to his hotel room that night, he picked up the book he had been given on the tour that covered the details of the haunting. As he did, he felt a sharp pain as if someone were trying to burn him. When he ran to the mirror to check, he found five deep scratches on his neck beneath his chin. The following morning, the officer visited his mother and told her what happened. He also gave her the book. According to him, he couldn't stand to have it around any longer and so he left it at her house. When he called her later and asked about the book, he caught her in the bathroom. She was standing in front of the mirror, examining five long scratches on her throat. All told, nearly 400 people have claimed to have been attacked by something otherworldly around the tomb. Almost 200 of those people have actually passed out during a ghost tour, Sometimes, every person in the tour will feel the exact same thing. Oftentimes, complete strangers will independently report the exact same experience. The odd experiences extend beyond the tours. An unusually high number of dead animals have been found in the area around Mackenzie's tomb. Unexplainable fires have broken out in nearby buildings. People have reported cold spots, and the usual photographic and electronic malfunctions have occurred there as well. Some have gone looking for an explanation for such a large number of unusual reports, but the theories are as varied as the types of attacks. One idea tries to connect the unlikely dots between the nearby Edinburgh University's artificial intelligence unit, which uses high-voltage machinery, and the sandstone deep underground beneath the ancient cemetery. The porous stone, they say, absorbs the energy and releases it later, causing odd experiences. But this is a difficult theory to swallow, especially for the people who have been physically assaulted by whatever it is that haunts the tomb. The company that conducts the tours through the graveyard is just as interested in finding the cause though, and that's why they've spent years collecting photographs of injuries, first-hand accounts, letters from witnesses, and other documentation. Unfortunately, most of those records were destroyed in 2003 when a fire swept through their office. Everything inside the tour company's space was incinerated, but nothing more. Every single nearby building remained untouched. The insurance company never found the cause. Outside of places with frequent earthquake activity, Most people don't think it's normal for photographs to fall off their wall, or for a chair to slide across the floor, or to be knocked down by an unseen force. For some, these events are equal parts unusual and inconvenient. For others, though, they are frightening. It's difficult to say what's really going on in these stories. Some events can be chalked up to natural causes, or the human tendency to misinterpret the things we see. We are very good at finding patterns, after all. It's called pareidolia, that moment when we see patterns where they don't really exist. We do this when we look up at clouds and see the shape of a turtle, but it happens subconsciously as well. Our minds are always searching for patterns. Or perhaps there's something more to the stories. What if there really are sinister, violent spirits that can attack us if provoked? In many stories, priests are brought in to bless the homes and perform exorcisms, a solution that certainly assumed there's a supernatural source. And sometimes, it's worked. In the years since the break-in at the Black Mausoleum, there have been two attempts at exorcism. The second of those took place in 2000, just a year after the activity began. Colin Grant... Minister of a spiritualist church and professional exorcist, was brought in to Greyfriars Cemetery. While standing in front of the Black Mausoleum, he performed his ceremony. While doing so, he claimed to feel overwhelmed by the sensation of oppression, that hundreds of tormented souls were swirling around him, trying to break through into our world. He said he had feared for his life, and he quickly left before he could finish. Just a few weeks later, Colin Grant was found dead, victim of a sudden heart attack. This episode of Lore was researched, written, and produced by me, Aaron Mankey. Lore is much more than a podcast. There's a book series in bookstores around the country and online and the second season of the Amazon Prime television show was recently released. Check them both out if you want more lore in your life. I also make two other podcasts, Aaron Mankey's Cabinet of Curiosities and Unobscured, and I think you'd enjoy both. Each one explores other areas of our dark history, ranging from bite-sized episodes to season-long dives into a single topic. You can learn about both of those shows and everything else going on all over in one central place. TheWorldOfLore.com slash now. And you can also follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Lore Podcast, all one word, and then click that follow button. When you do, say hi. I like it when people say hi. And as always, thanks for listening.